Hey, Marissa. How you doing? You have a lot of nerve showing up here. What? You could have at least called, said, Marissa, hey, it's not going to work out. Sorry I wasted your time. I'm a dick. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe we could go out again next week. everybody i'm rima and i'm sean and this is strange indeed a podcast dedicated to the show stranger things today we will be covering the third episode from season one titled chapter three holly jolly yeah i'm really excited about this one i think it's gonna be great um are you ready to jump into our top five let's do it all right so i'll start off my top five um, I have to just start off with the opener. I think that's a good place to, to begin is the opening scene where poor Barb, um, <laughs> all of a sudden she just yeah. wakes up. She looks awful. She's like bleeding and looks dirty. And I mean, when we last saw her, she looked fine, you know, before she got snatched by whatever snatched her. Um, and, and she just looks awful. She's like bleeding and she starts like choking up some water, like after you've like been in a swimming pool and, and gotten choked on some water. Um, the environment is obviously like super different. And to me, it was like so creepy because I don't know if um, you are familiar with the, at least the, the first one, the first video game from Silent Hill. Do you ever play that? Oh, no, but that uh, I saw the, well, I saw the movie. Yeah. So that I see where you're going with this. Yeah, so, yeah, they kind of put it in the first movie as well. And the movie was not as good. But the video game, you know, the first one anyway, scared the hell out of me. And a lot of it was because of that. It was like this dark grayish environment. And there was like this, and I don't know what this stuff is, but in Silent Hill it was like ash. Um, And I don't know what this was, but that creepy stuff floating in the air and mm-hmm. just kind of some of it you, some of it looked like it was like falling and then some just looked like it was kind of floating <laughs> so it was just like where the hell are we what is what is she at where is she at you kind of realize as she gets up she's in looks like the pool but it's there's no water in the pool and there's all this really weird stuff like growth all over the pool she's you know screaming uh, or like you know calling out for nancy there's this creature behind her that scares the hell out of her and me at the same time. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. It looks to be like that same thing that was after Will. Totally freaking me out. Poor Barb screaming her head off. Nancy's too busy getting her thing on with, like, you like to call him, you know, the, the douchebag. Steve. Steve the D. <laughs> the D. <laughs> yeah. I'll just call him the D-bag. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, she's too busy. It's like she kind of hears her. You can kind of see where she's like, you know, oh, what what was that, you know? And but yet she's still too busy doing her thing and doesn't hear poor Barb screaming. Uh, that that whole scene. I like how they when they open it up. It's like because we ended that last scene, she's just gone. Yeah. And, and you're like, uh, what just happened? It's like you blink. If you blinked, you missed it. And then they open it right away with, okay, well we're seeing at least kind of what happened we don't know exactly we don't have the whole picture but we at least see we're not sitting here wondering well what happened there so that that really it scared the hell out of me that creature thing scared the hell out of me her screaming you could really feel it uh her terror that she was feeling so that's that's my number five so far um what did you think of that scene so i mean that's so like that's kind of tied into my number five as well i had the intros part of it 
Um, but yeah, it's the situation where Barb wakes up and you're like, oh shit, here's Barb. And I thought she was in some kind of like cavern or, you know, some kind of enclosure that she wouldn't be able to get out of because there's vines all over the place and she's trying to figure out how to climb out. It's like, well, maybe she's in a hole or, and then she's, you know, it's cutting back and forth between, you know, this gray world where, you know, you don't know where this is. And it cuts to Steve, the D and (sighs) Nancy getting busy. And I'm, so I don't know if probably in the episode, they, they probably stretched out like the time of it happening, but any high school boy I know is not going to last longer than probably a minute, minute and a half tops. (laughs) So this scene had to have happened really, really quickly. Is that coming from experience, Sean? Um, I plead the fifth. It's okay. Plead the fifth. Okay. (laughs) It's like two minutes tops now, so I've improved a ton. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, put that on the internet um so but yeah but then you see her kind of climbing and she she grabs a hold of what looks like a ladder so i'm like oh okay so she's like you know maybe she's in a sewer or what is she in and as she climbs up you see you know she's in the pool and it's this whole like idea of like uh alternate reality kind of thing like you said like i didn't think of silent hill until you mentioned it but it's very much like that silent hill like you're you're there but you're not Mm -hmm. you know you're like in between worlds and like you said, right. she screams. Nancy kind of hears her, but Steve the D's like, "Oh, you're so hot! Like, this is gonna be awesome." <laughs> and uh, so the comment I put on here first, like when you see her, I should have probably mentioned this first, but like I just said, like, "Oh shit, Barb," because <laughs> instantly, like, something's not gonna be going good for her. Uh, let's see. But um, so the only uh, interesting thing um, that I kind of caught, I'm not sure if it means anything or not, but as you see Barb climbing out of the pool, she grabs the the side railing of the pool right outside mm-hmm. of that big bar and she's got her hand gripped on it super tight. And as they cut back to Steve, the D and Nancy, Steve had her hand pin, her hand pinned down as oh. they were kind of, uh, you know, doing what teenagers do. Uh huh. And so I'm not sure if, like, so I'm trying to, like, okay, I'm analyzing this more in an analytically. What, what are they trying to tell us here? And mm-hmm. I wonder if, like, this is kind of, like, both of them are kind of losing their innocence to an extent or something along those lines. Because, you know, I'm guessing this is Nancy's first time being with a guy, and I'm guessing this is Barb's first time with a monster. <laughs> right. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I don't think I picked up on that at all. That interesting parallel, like you said, with their their hands like that. That that's interesting. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, and you can always yeah take... the the definite the definite difference between because you know like I said they kept cutting between you know what was going on with Steve and Nancy in in his bedroom versus what's happening to Barb. You know, you have Barb in this extreme a horrible situation and she's scared for her life and she's trying to get away and you have Steve and Nancy up in up in the room you know without a care in the world just you know kind of doing their thing and kind of lost in the moment um so it's it's definitely a contrast between between those two and what's happening uh let's see so yeah just to kind of uh, well, I guess actually, I guess do you have anything else to add on your number five on that? Or no, that... that's that's all that I have. What, what's, what's your number five? Um, so mine was the intro still. So we kind of talked a little bit about it on Barb, um, but I was going to kind of cut into. So after we see this whole situation happen with Barb, Barb gets pulled back into the pool by the, the monster. We see Nancy sitting on the edge of the bed. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I wasn't a teenage girl, so I didn't experience this. And I'm sure it's a very <laughs> just, you know, awkward moment. You know, the first time again. I'm guessing this is the first time Nancy's been with a been with somebody. I I, I think that's probably a safe assumption. Yes. <laughs> and like you see, Steve, who this isn't his first time, so he's kind of like laying in bed sleeping. Like the moment I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, 
She's just another notch in the belt. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. she's going to show up at school. He's going to totally ignore her. Um, And the other kind of interesting moment was like when she comes home, her mom's like, you know, why were you out so late? And her mom's not dumb. Like, parents aren't dumb. You know, she knows something was going on. It's like, oh, well, you know, why didn't you call? And that's the thing I find interesting, too, is like you look back in the 80s, like, you know, today, like if your kid doesn't call, they have no excuse. Right. You could be like, why didn't you text? Why didn't you call? Oh, my phone was no you have your phone on you 24 7 anytime i you look at you posted on facebook 15 minutes ago <laughs> that's a good point too you can facebook stalk your kids and know what's going on yeah but this was back in the day like you could legitimately lie and get away with it. it's like oh there's no phone oh i lost track of time oh um, it was the best <laughs> <laughs> um i actually got some pretty decent leeway with my folks because they knew I, i'd work all the time so if i was out to like 12 31 i was usually with my girlfriend so like well you know, he's not out partying, so at least we'll give him that much. Um, but, you know, when you kind of see that happen, like her mom knows something's up. And, and it goes back to where her mom said this to um, Mike, where she's like, hey, you know, you can tell me anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm there for you. And both times I legitimately feel like if if Nancy wanted to sit down and be like, hey, mom, this just happened, it wouldn't be a judgment conversation of like, oh, my gosh, why'd you do that? You know, you know, he's just using you, blah, blah, blah. Like, it seems like the mom would have actually been there for him. Yeah, I totally got that too. She seemed really genuine um, in in wanting her kids to be open with her and knowing that they could come to her and talk to her. Um, and I really appreciate that because, you know, I think we all as parents try to, you know, at least most of us, I think, want that, you know, open relationship with our kids and be able to talk to them because, you know, I mean, we see what happens when parents don't have good communication with their kids and keep things open and that it doesn't usually turn out so well. So I can appreciate that. And I, I agree with you. You could totally see in her face, you know, and I can't believe she admitted that was Steve's sweatshirt. Yeah. So are you and Steve dating now? No. <laughs> I mean, well, you're wearing a sweatshirt. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. I don't buy that for a net. I'll like, oh, I was cold and he let me borrow uh, yeah. it. Baloney. That is like a walk of shame. Yeah. Get giveaway. That's like coming home with your underwear turned inside out. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Of course, your mom probably doesn't see that, but I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> Not that's, that that's yeah. ever happened to me or anything. I'm just, <laughs> that's what I'm being told. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Totally. Yeah, and the only other note I had was like these kids growing up, like, you know, your parents aren't dumb. But in this family, the only dumb parent I think would be Ted. You know, Ted again, like he'd be up and she'd come walking. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's, it's midnight? Oh, okay, well, you know, you're supposed to be home at 10. You're supposed to be home at 10. Listen to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was my number five was tied into the whole Barb Nancy situation um, from the intro. That's good. Good stuff. I like it. Awesome. Um, Okay, so my number four uh, is, and he keeps coming up again and again, but I I just, I have so much love for this character and especially for the guy playing him because he does it so well, is Hopper. Um, I, I really like what he's doing throughout all of these episodes i love whenever he's in his um truck and he has his um i i'm guessing deputies i'm gonna call them deputies um just for the sake of this um talking about it um and you know he's kind of trying to smooth talk the guard you know and the guard just ain't having yeah. it and he's like he finally just like throws off his hat in exasperation whether it was genuine or whether it was for show which i part of it was probably you know, surely true, I'm sure, but, you know, throws off his hat and tosses it up in the dashboard and tells this guy, he's like, look, I've got reporters breathing down my neck. I've got a, you know, mom, a hysterical mom, you know, I've got this missing kid, you know, work with me here, guy. And, um, you know, he finally gets his way in. 
And I really like how he cuts like through the bullshit, like when he sees that there's, he's looking at that, what little bit of that surveillance tape when he's at the facility. Oh, that um, was so smooth. Yeah. Oh, wasn't that just great? And he's like, you know, he only seen snippets, but he saw just enough to, to remember that it was like storming and that tape didn't have any kind of rain on it at all. And he just like totally, he just, he just cuts through the BS. And I really appreciate that because I don't like bs and i don't like to take it from people and i don't like to hear it i just like to cut through and get to the point and so i really appreciate that um in him as a character and i really loved it at the library also and he's <laughs> and walks in and he's just all casual like hey you guys got <laughs> newspapers here and she the librarian what's her name marissa i guess Marissa, yeah. so it's like you know given her host spiel like you know you never called me and his the look on his face you know i don't know if you've ever been in a similar situation or not i like to think you're a really nice guy sean you've probably never done a girl that way but you know i don't know if you've ever been in a similar situation or had a, a friend in a similar situation a witness like his one of his deputy was it was hilarious that deputy those hit like watching the interaction between the two is hilarious but the look on his face she's giving him crap like you know you know well i'm just a dick and he just looks at her like <laughs> You want to go out sometime this week? You want to go out next week? I love yeah, because it's the fact of like he's he knows like he's like yeah, I I probably did you wrong, but like I wasn't trying to be a dick. I was legitimately maybe trying to have a good time, and one thing led to another. And I do you guys have newspapers here? (laughs) Can we just get back to the newspapers, please? (laughs) I do love that. You know, she's like hey like oh so you know you could have called me like hey blah 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 i'm a dick i don't want to see you again and uh yeah then they start going into the whole newspaper piece of it which um they have that conversation in front of the thing where she's like well we got the post and the times and you know he's like oh okay well you know we're gonna start with the times how about you or you start with the post we'll work on the times and she's like really like (laughs) yeah it i just i really really like him i think that he has you know just he's you know, funny kind of lighthearted moments that, that just make him seem more real and gives him more depth, I think as a character, which I really like. And I just really like him as a character. I bring him up. I think I probably brought him up in, in the other um, episodes that we've discussed, but I just, I really like him. I think he does a really great job. So, um, I, I, I love to see him more and more. So, well, so far in this, like he doesn't really have, like, he's not really the only mystery about him is like, okay, well, what big city did he come from and does he have a daughter or what happened to her? Yeah. But I love the fact that even in this, you see it so much more. Like, you see the flip. Like, he's not small-town cop hopper who's just, you know, worrying about garden gnomes getting kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Like, his big city cop or his, like, skill has kicked in. That shows why he's the chief. Like, the whole scenario where he's like, okay, you know, he gets to the guard tower. He's like, you know, hey, you know, what's your name? He's like, Patrick. He's like, Patrick, you know, I've got the newspaper down or newspaper can, you know, hounded me. I've got the mare down my back. You know, I've got a, you know, really worried mom. Like, you know, we know the kid's not in there, but if we could just do a look around, that'll at least help us, you know, check this off our list. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he sees that video. And even as a viewer, I'm like, well, this seems weird, but the, but okay. As it gets out there, it's like, it's like whenever, like sometimes your coworkers just don't quite get it sometimes yeah. as you're trying to explain things to them. And that's exactly what happened there. He's like, so you saw the video, right? And, Guy's like, yeah, you know, didn't see anything on it. He's like, remember anything like interesting about that night that we're looking? No, not really. It was raining. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, yeah, I guess it was raining. Did you see any rain on that tape? Hmm, I I don't remember. Well, it wasn't, so they're lying and something's going on. It's like, 
give me I need a little help guys come on yeah the poor guy you know those two deputies you know we haven't got to see too much of him but we saw them in the previous episode you know kind of you know oh he he they slept together right you know they're just like and he's like trying to keep it professional um it just seems like they're they are like the typical small town cops and i think if this was left in their hands and he wasn't on the scene i mean this would be a disaster so i think everybody should be really grateful anyway that as far as like will's disappearance is concerned should be grateful that he's around because he seems to he's doing like real investigative work and you know being being professional and and he throws in some some good character stuff in with it as well that makes him seem just seem human you know he's not just a character you know he's he's i think just has some depth and I, I really like him, so that's my number four. Cool. Uh, let's see. So for my number four, uh, I have... Uh, so for my number four, uh, I had the situation where Elle is uh, at the light pole, so she's it's 3.15, so she's out there. And on the other side of the fence, we see a cat. And in this situation, the cat's hissing at her. So, like, you know, we know Elle has some uh, superpowers. You know, she has some abilities. And we're trying to figure out, you know, where these came from, how she's harnessing them and whatnot. And, you know, you start seeing those flashbacks again. And at first what you see, um, you see it kind of earlier, I guess. It's really the cat and the Coke, I guess, is the best way to put this one. So you see her watching a Coke commercial. And you see the flashback. She's sitting in a room. She's got stuff on her head. And... You're trying to figure out what she's trying to do, and there's people watching her, and it's like an experiment-type scenario. And all of a sudden, she just you know starts focusing on this can and crushes it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wow. Well, like We knew she had powers, and now she can crush soda cans. Like This would be great at the recycling bins and stuff like that. Like <laughs> yeah. She could be a great service to man. And so we go on our merry way, and you know, she's back at the light post, or the electric post, and we see the cat like, oh, man. So animals don't like her, right? And then they flash back again. You're like, huh. They got a cat in a cage with her, and they got that thing on when she was trying to crush the... Oh, no. They want her to crush the cat. Don't crush uh-huh. the cat. Please don't crush the cat. Uh-huh. And you see, like, the, like she's trying, but, like, the agony, like, she's, like, she has, like, some kind of moral compass that, like, she knows this isn't wrong. Like, I know nothing about Elle if she was raised as a baby in this place or if she was, you know, kidnapped and brought here or what, but in her mind, she knows crushing this defenseless cat is the wrong thing to do. Right. And Papa is disappointed with it, and we get to see a scene of her getting dragged down the hallway. But she's like, no more. She doesn't want that. So they throw her in the cage or in her, like, you know, solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see her powers go crazy. Oh, yes. Wasn't that great? Yeah. But I feel bad for the two guys because it's like, well, you know, I, I can't crush this defenseless cat, but these two guys who are just trying to earn a paycheck – you know, they, they probably don't, you know, they're probably like interns, you know, like they're like trying to get their doctorate <laughs> degree and like, listen, I don't totally agree with this, but like, I have to get this to get some credit. And, you know, she ends up throwing the one dude against the wall. And I was like, well, he probably survived. And then the other guy's like snaps his neck. I'm like, oh yeah, he's dead. Yeah. He, he did not survive. And I'm not even sure about that guy that got thrown against the wall. Did you see the indentation yeah. in the wall? <laughs> yeah, after he walked away, Karen, I was pretty sure that he was a goner, too. Yeah, he is, I guess it's possible, but he, he he's going to be hurting the next day for sure. I don't think he's just going to be able to walk that off. But the sense I got of this is like, um, you know, like a lot of people always talk about like dogs and how dogs, you know, it's not a bad dog, it's a bad owner. Mm-hmm. And I really got that sense with this is it's almost like whenever you see like people who raise dogs to fight, like basically have these dog fighting rings. Mm-hmm. Like this is this little girl that, you know, is has these powers, but she doesn't want to use them for evil. 
but this guy is like trying to see how far he can push her. And so Papa comes in. I don't know why she didn't kill Papa. So again, I'm really curious what the backstory is on that. Like he walks in and she knows that he's the one that's, he's the puppet master. He's the one that's doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But she ends up just kind of like falling into his arms. I don't know if because maybe she lost her, like she u- overused her power or something because she was ble- bleeding from it, her nose and ear. Yeah. Well, it seems like it, it, it does take something from her and, you know, um, that was certainly a great use of, I mean, crushing a, a Coke can is certainly, I won't make, I won't downplay it because I certainly cannot crush a Coke <laughs> can with just thinking about it, but crushing a Coke can versus slinging somebody with your mind up against a, stu- a, a, a wall. And you could see there's some power behind that because you could see that very clear indentation in these, um, in the, that concrete, it wasn't concrete, but those, those brick walls. And then just with a, a tilt of her head, snap that guy's neck just by thinking of it. So you can see that kind of, like you said, her nose is bleeding. And I think that it probably really does like take some, it takes energy, I think, to do that, whatever kind of energy you believe that to be. Um, but I think that really takes it out of her. And I don't think that she, she wants to hurt Papa, whether or not that's her real Papa, or she sees him as her Papa, she believes that to be her Papa. I mean, I don't think that she would turn that against him. He didn't seem to be fearful of her at all. He was very proud of her, you know, for for what she did. He didn't seem too upset by the loss of these gentlemen. I, I'm sure to him that was collateral damage. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't think he he would he didn't seem to be fearful of her at all. I didn't see fear in his eyes when he was like, "Oh hell, I better watch myself." He was very much, you know, it's okay. I'm proud of you. That's your that's that's what I wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting when he walked in because I think he only gave one word, like one word response. Like, I don't know if it was, I think it was incredible this time, not extraordinary like the last time. Mm-hmm. But the thing I noticed, too, is that dude had some big hands. Like when he like was cupping her head, which was really weird and awkward, but like his hands were just ginormous. And he didn't look like a big, big guy when he's behind the um, window or anything like that. But in that moment, I don't know if that was like stunt hands to show some kind of like he has the upper hand, like he's just in control of the situation or if that's Mm. like actually those dudes' hands. But they were ginormous. I don't think I noticed that. I think I just, I think of Millie Bobby Brown as just being kind of small. She's so, maybe not petite as in short, um, I mean, she's a child, so clearly she's small, but she just seems like like small structured Mm -hmm. um, and small boned and thin. That yeah, I think that's probably where I saw it. But I think that that there yeah, I think there's a possibility to kind of show his like dominance over her, because clearly I think there's some sort of dominance um, over her that she respects him. Because I have it might have stuck out to me because I have small hands. Like I don't have huge hands, so whenever I see like a dude with big hands, I'm like, oh, that dude must be an alpha. <laughs> so I've got these have- little bitty hands. <laughs> do you have baby hands? <laughs> I do. They're not huge. <laughs> Like when I get sized for rings, they're like, "All right, well, let's. Whoa, wow, yeah. All right, let's let's get the ladies' rings in here for this guy. He's gonna save some money on gold because he doesn't need much." Poor Sean. <laughs> but yeah, That's that was okay. my. <laughs> but yeah, that was my number four. Here was kind of the cat and the coke scenario with L. <clears throat> That's good. I like it. Very good observations. Um, and I don't think I had that covered in mind, so. I think I kind of touched on it a little bit, number one, but not quite in the way that you did. You have a, a really good perspective on it, so I like it. Um, the other thing, um, sorry, I'm just going back through my notes. I apologize. Yeah, um, no, go ahead. One of the other things, it's kind of later in the episode. Um, and it may not be the best spot to put in here, but it ties in a little bit. Whenever they're riding the bikes and Mike had the cut on his chin, mm-hmm. and she asked him, she's like, well, why do, why do they hurt you? 
And as she said that and he explained it to her, I'm like, you know, he could ask you the exact same question. You know, like he yeah. could ask you, like, why are they hurting you? I mean, he doesn't know her whole backstory yet, but it's the same thing. Like he knows some bad people are after him. So, he, I mean, it's a two way. It's a two way street question kind of scenario. It's like, why? Why are the bullies hurting you, Mike? And it's like, well, why are the bad people hurting you, L? Like it just went back and forth. I thought that was kind of a interesting question. That the person asking could also have been asked that exact same question. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's a really good observation. I didn't look at it that way, but you're you're exactly right because she's asking because like, well, why are they hurting you? Mm-hmm. Or you know, because she's like, there are people hurting her. So you know, oh, that's yeah, a good she, point too. Yeah. So maybe she's trying to get an understanding. Okay, like. You have a relationship with these normal people. Yeah. Maybe if I can understand that, I can understand why Papa was hurting me. Right. Interesting. Hopefully answers to come, right? I hope so. (laughs) We still have to figure out what that goop is. I didn't figure anything out in this episode. No, no answers for the goop. We're, we're, it's okay. We have a, a good handful of episodes to go. We're hoping for answers to the goop. And, and listeners, if you got answers on that goop, let us know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sticking with the ectoplasm thing from like Ghostbusters. <laughs> the, the, the snotty stuff. <laughs> it's totally, we're going to keep revisiting that. We're not going to let that go. Um, okay. So my number three um, is Joyce. Um, wow. Is she, Winona Ryder is just like so amazing as 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 Joyce. It's just she she plays this character of this mom with a missing child so brilliantly. I don't I don't know that I could do it better, you know. And I, I and Winona Ryder doesn't even have children, so like whatever she's drawing from or inspiration or whatever she's she's doing to get that um, acting ability out of her and to be able to do that, I think is amazing because I don't think that I you know, would be able to do the same. Of course, I'm not a professional actor by any <laughs> means, but um, I think she's doing so fantastic. And I, and I think everything that she does, you know, in the in this whole episode is, is, is on par. If your kid is missing, you know, she's, yeah, she's a little bit fanatical. She's, she's off kilter. She can't think straight. She's smoking constantly. She's acting a little bit crazy, but she's desperate and she's not getting any answers. I mean, nobody has absolutely any answers um, as to what's happening to her son. So she's grasping at whatever straw that is out there and, and makes sense to her, you know, like this communicating with the lights. And she, she goes back to her store <laughs> and yeah. tells her boss again, <laughs> just ring me up, Donald. <laughs> just <laughs> Like, just don't even start with me. Just, you know, and if he's smart, he won't, because I'd hate to see how she would react if he actually did say something to her. But I, I, you know, she buys out the entire stock of Christmas lights at the store that she works at. She hangs them up all over her house. Um, which I thought was in a sad way. It was kind of beautiful. I love Christmas lights. You know, I thought it was, it was kind of sad as to why she was doing it and because her child is missing and she's believing that she's, and I think that she is, um, you know, kind of communicating with her son. It's what it seems like, um, with Will, um, I like how she drew the alphabet on the wall um, to coincide with the Christmas lights. Uh, it reminded me, and this totally freaks me out, um, people out there, don't mess with Ouija boards, but that's what it reminded me of, was like a, 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 like a DIY Ouija board. Yeah, I was um, kind of calling it like a will board <laughs> Oh, you're so clever. <laughs> That's but, really good. I hadn't thought about that, but that's the same thing. What came to my mind, you know, when trying to speak to someone that you 
can't really talk to you, but it's able to somehow communicate. That's what it really reminded me of. And I thought, you know, people are given Joyce hell for being cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You know, a lot of the townspeople are, you know, saying things about her and stuff. But, you know, I thought that was kind of smart of her. I don't know that I would have thought of that to like go get some paint and have those lights and do what she did, you know, doing what she thinks is best, you know, to try and communicate. And when she has the, the ball of Christmas lights and she's cuddled in that cabinet and she's has this huge ball of Christmas lights and she's communicating with Will, at least we believe it to be Will. I think in my opinion it is. Um, and just, she, she just, you can feel it. It's genuine. It's like that ecstatic, you know, um, as she's communicating and getting the answers, she puts up the, um, alphabet on the wall. He's telling her I'm right here. What does that mean? You know, and it makes you think of the opening scene with Barb. Yeah. Yeah. Where exactly. it's like this, you know, it's like she's there, but she's not there. She's, you can see finally when she starts coming out of that pool, you know, she is there in that pool where she just was when she disappeared and she, you can see the house, but clearly she's there, but not there. And then when you see Will and she's like, Will, where are you? And he spells out right here. And it's like, Oh, you know, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting is, is Will in the same place that Barb was like, he's there, but He's existing somewhere, but not quite on the same plane or dimension that that she's at. And then when he tells her to run, I don't know, man. I'm telling you, freaky creatures climbing out of walls or climbing out of anything. Just sorry. I can't do it. Like, it reminds me of, like, The Ring and Samara climbs out of the TV. I don't know if you've ever seen The Ring. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I mean, that, that sticks with you. I'm, or at least me, I, I still see it to this day and I haven't seen the movie since it came out. I can't watch it again. And sorry, people, if you haven't seen The Ring yet, I think there's a time limit on spoilers. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so sorry if that ruins anything for you. Go watch it. Um, but I can't deal with that. That just, it, it like brings chills up my spine and it, it raises the hair on the back of my neck and I can't take it. So seeing that thing climb out of the wall was absolutely terrifying. She took it way better. I thought she... I don't know if she's on a little something, like if she's smoking more than cigarettes or something, but. Uh, Yeah, that would make it a lot freakier for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that might make her, I don't know. But that, that's my number three is just Joyce, her whole um, interaction throughout, you know, with the other people on the show when she has, um, and I can't think of her name. I know it and I'm not thinking of it, but Mike's mom who comes over uh, with her little girl, Holly, and she's like trying to interact with her and trying to be polite but then she then like throws her out like i'm sorry you have to leave <laughs> yeah and so when that happened so like the little girl saw what she saw so you know like she's like okay i'm not crazy like this little girl saw it and she's trying to get it out of her what it was and i don't know if like when i told her she had when she was telling i think her name's karen she's like karen you have to leave mm-hmm. i thought she was gonna then say but your daughter has to stay <laughs> she's gonna help me communicate <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, to add on, so my number three, I, I kind of tagged just with the lights. So it's kind of the same thing you're talking about where, you know, it's a cool progression because at first she sees like it's it's the uh, the light bulbs on the the lamps mm-hmm. and she she's not really getting like actual communication across except just that, you know, somebody's there. So then she's like, OK, I'm going to build this whole light thing in the house. And then she sees this ball of lights. You're like, oh, we can do yes or no with this. And I kind of like that they did that because, you know, I don't think as a, a normal person you would go right to a Ouija board style light setup. Mm-hmm. So she kind of gets that like, oh, yes or no. And like are the are you safe thing. I, I mean, 
it definitely like you knew what she was going to ask and what the answer was going to be before she asked it. So it wasn't really surprising. Um, at least to me, it wasn't, you know, she asked like, Hey, are you there? It's like a yes. And it's like, are you safe? It's like, well, of course he's not safe. It's going to blink twice. Mm-hmm. And then she goes and creates the, the Wilgie board. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, she asked, where is he? You know, I'm right here. And, uh, I can't remember what the next question was. Maybe it was like, what should I do or something like that? Yeah. And right when that happened, I'm like, oh, it's going to say, are you in? It's going to say, are you in? And you see, are you like, uh, you, uh, in. Oh, run, Nancy. No, no, no. (laughs) Run, run, Joyce, run. But um, kind of tagging on too with that light. So you see that thing come from the wall. Like you're talking about um, with uh, the ring and the, the TV, like walls are safety. Like walls and fences are like these things that are kind of, you know, give you that false sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like for something just to like come right through that wall, you know, that's like every, you know, probably primitive fear that we have is like our home, our protection, like this little, you know, safety net we've built ourselves is now being basically, uh, invaded in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see with this monster coming through. And, you know, she did the right thing again. Like, you know, we saw her in last episode, she ran right out of the house when some bad stuff was happening. And this time she did the same thing, except she didn't turn around and come back. She kept running as far as she could go. Yeah, because this time, like the last time it happened, she just saw like the, because it was still behind the wall. She just saw like it like protruding out and just saw like, um, you know, the shape or the profile of it. This time it actually came out of the wall. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, you see it kind of start coming through, then it rips. And yeah, it's it's game over with that. Like you don't stick around to, to talk with that thing. Uh-uh. No, that that is one freaky kind of creature that just looking at it, you know, almost alien-esque. Um, kind of has that kind of, not the head so much, but like body shape to it, where it has this really like distorted long limbs and, you know, like long, like fingers and, you know, just really just kind of freaky and just, you just know it's not right. Yeah. It's it's, not right. And it's not supposed to be there. (laughs) It's semi-humanoid, but it's like, it's kind of like whenever you think of aliens where they got kind of like the long head, but yeah, it's just does not sit well. No. And you're, you, you made a really good point of how it like feels like it's, you know, like you said, it's like your home is your is your safe place, and and to have that invaded, you know, it just that's that was that's almost more terrifying than than just anything. That, that I think that just amplifies the terror of the situation, not just this creature coming through, but how it's coming through and how you're not safe anywhere. And I think what's else, you know, like you were saying earlier with Joyce too, like she puts all these lights all over, and Karen comes out, and it was kind of beautiful in a way. Like if you're Karen showing up, she's like, oh, you know, hey. You know, Joyce is telling Karen this, like, I put these lights up because, you know, Will loves Christmas. He loves Christmas lights. So I hope that, you know, by doing this, he'd be happy to come home kind of thing. And, like, as a mother, like, coming to, to another mother that's missing her child, it'd be like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, that's that's so sweet but so sad because, like, you don't – is he going to come home? Like, I hope he's okay and he's going to come home, but – Yeah. Um, And she's like, well, I brought you a casserole. <laughs> I know. And I mean, I really, really like her character too, Karen. She's, you know, she's like this really great mom, it seems, from the, the parts that we've seen with her kids. And she's reached out to both her children and has like, you know, I'm here if you want to talk to me. And you can tell that she really cares about them and what's going on in their lives. And she's trying to do the best that she can. 
because um, it almost like she's a little bit of a single parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with her husband, he's just kind of like, oh, I, I, I work and I bring home the bacon and I'm just going <laughs> to go sit in my recliner for and veg out the rest of the evening. Um, so it, it really seems like she's doing the majority of the parenting and and then she also goes and reaches out to Joyce and it doesn't, and you don't see whether or not other people have done it and we haven't seen it, whether it's been relevant, but we saw her reach out to Joyce and, and she's so far the only person that we've seen reach out, um, you know, as a parent in the community, you know, because it seems to be a small town and that what small town folk are supposed to do is pull together. Mm-hmm. But it seems like everybody's kind of looking at Joyce because she's like the oddball or she's a little different or eccentric or, you know, she's just a little different or whatever um, that, you know, I, I thought it was kind of sad that, you know, you see it's just like her and her son are on their own. I mean, Hopper's been really great as far as like trying to help her out and stuff, but he's out trying to do the work to try to find Will. He can't be like there holding her hand. Yeah. Um, so you just see her and her son are having to go through this together and you don't see the community pulling together. I mean, they, they did pull together. There were people searching, but you don't see anybody sitting there, you know, trying to help her, talk to her. And just be there. You know, there's not a lot you can do or say in that kind of situation because it's absolutely every parent's nightmare to have your child go missing. So I I certainly couldn't think of any words of comfort if if I knew someone in that situation. But just being there can sometimes be enough. You don't see anyone else doing that. But, you know, and even though, you know, you can kind of joke about the casserole, which it is kind of like, well, I brought you a casserole. Um, It was still, you know, she took the time, you know, out of her day to go do that. And I thought that was really sweet. And I really like her character. But that was really nice. That kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. Oh no! I mean, that's bit. a great. I mean, because I mean, they were their kids were friends, and like you don't see any of the other boys as friends or parents coming over to help out. Yeah. And food kind of is that like excuse to go to somebody in need. Like you know, if you go to funerals and thing, usually you bring food to the, you know, the person that's impacted by that because it's just a, it's kind of just a, a good excuse to stop by and like, hey, I'm just checking to see how you are. And, you know, because that always can seem kind of awkward. It's like, oh, hey, I thought you might be hungry, so I brought you some food. Mm-hmm. But really, I'm here to check to see how you are. Exactly. Yep, you're right. It's Food is a good excuse because in the end, you do have to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be able to keep up your strength. It's like in the previous episode when, you know, he was trying to get his mom to eat breakfast and stuff. And she's like, oh, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. And he's trying to force her because obviously you cannot keep going at the pace you're going without eating something, even though that's the last thing you're thinking about, you know, in that kind of situation. But there is truth to that. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a really good point. Let's see. Yeah, so my number three, just kind of tagging on to yours, was just uh, the lights with uh, uh, Joyce. Nice. Yep, love those lights. So my number two, um, just kind of in general, it's not too specific a point, but kind of going back to the facility and current events, you know, you see Dr. Brenner in these has and other staff um, that work there at the facility in these hazmat suits, and they're in this room see this like really weird portal looking hole in the wall you only see a flash of it you don't get a very good look at it and it's really kind of brief but he is like just staring at it and there's this same like ashy stuff that's like floating Mm -hmm. around like falling and floating and so you're like okay so we saw the opening scene right away with barb so that gives us i think pretty big clues as we may not know exactly what's happening but we obviously know that something is connected Um, And I think we probably know, I think, you know, from other episodes that there's something obviously going on here, but I think this just really kind of ties it in. And um, I don't know, his, it it was just, I didn't quite know what to make of him just standing in front of that 
whatever that was, this portal. I don't know if it's like that's how you get in and out. But that's how where this creature came from. And this is the opening to that, you know, this gateway or whatever. And he's just staring in front of it. And I'm like, what is going through his head? I, I don't know. I didn't quite know what to make of that because they're putting some sort of machine and they're drilling it into the floor so it can't go anywhere. And he's all this is happening around him, all this activity and everybody's busy doing something. And he's just standing there like with his arms crossed staring at this. So I just I found that really interesting. And, and what Hopper found out during his investigative work at the library where he connects Dr. Brenner to these questionable experiments um, with like, you know, these kids and, you know, this lawsuit and this mother with a, another missing child and um, or saying that he abducted her child. And um, so all of these things, it's like, what what the hell is going on? You know, what, what do these experiments, because we see 11 of these experiments happening at this facility. Now something has happened that something seems like has opened up something and then this creature has gotten out. Um, so like, what's going on? What's he thinking? What does he know? How much does he know? He doesn't seem to questioning it's almost like he you know i don't know what do you what do you make of that what's your take on that he doesn't seem too nervous about it like you said he's just standing there watching and we don't know is this thing expanding or like is it is it kind of like encompassing all the the current world or is it like you said is it a gateway to get into this other place that i have no idea what it is um and you know like i remember the ash kind of falling out so like are they in that same realm barb is are they going between these worlds or is it just that they're on the outside of it and it's starting to seep into our current world um and i think it's interesting you said with hopper like i feel like he is dangerously getting himself in too deep with this like he's going to be the guy Mm -hmm. asking the wrong questions to the wrong people and you're going to see the um uh uh, the uh, what was it the uh oh what was the lady that was coming over to help out benny the child services they're going to child services him basically be like oh hey we're here for bang dead yeah and then no more hopper and i don't want that i don't either (laughs) But yeah, Love it's just, uh, yeah, like that whole thing there, like you just, there's there's more questions after each episode than answers. Right. It's like they give you a little bit to kind of start tying things and you can start making small connections, but you still have the same questions, if not more questions, like you said, after. So it's not a real specific. That's really all I have for number two is just how we see, you know, the experiments happening. You see this, this portal in the wall and 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 how you see the stuff floating around like you did in the beginning where where we saw barb and what is this place and what does he know he didn't seem too not maybe not concerned but he didn't seem too nervous he didn't seem too anxious about it he's very you know just staring at him like what's going through your head dude so um and then what happened in your past you know with these experiments what are you trying to do what what did you do to cause this i feel like he's somehow responsible for whatever's happened well, that's interesting. It's like, okay, so what do you know? Like, what do you, and then it's like, what are you trying to accomplish by this? Because just figuring out what this stuff is, is probably step one of a multi-phase, you know, experiment that they're trying to do. Because, you know, are they trying to, like, they're obviously trying to figure out powers. Like, they're trying to harness L for something. Mm-hmm. So, like, are they trying to do the same thing for this? I think one of the the deputies kind of threw out, like, a, this is where they build the, the space uh, weapons. <laughs> those lasers. Yeah. It's like, you know, those laser things. It's like, don't listen to him. Like, ignore him as well. Hopper says the guy helping him around. But yeah, that's, I guess I'm pretty interested to like, continue to figure out what this facility is. Mm-hmm. And what is going on. So that's that's my number two. What's What do you got? All right. Uh, so my number two is kind of a semi-sweet moment, but it's when you see Elle kind of walking around the house. 
So at first, you know, she walks downstairs. You see the the earlier thing we talked about with the Coke can, and she has a flashback. She, she's but she's messing with the TV. She sees the old He Man cartoon, which um, oh, yes. I didn't. I didn't watch He Man. Like it was right before my. I say before my time, but it wasn't like the big thing when I was in that cartoon mm-hmm. age. Like it was. It was the Ninja Turtles. Was what was my big thing. Yeah. Um, she jumps in the Lazy Boy, so she gives that another whirl. Um, and the other thing that was cool, so she. Uh, um, picks up the phone, and as it's humming, she hums back to it, which I thought was pretty cute because this was probably the first time she's ever had a phone to her ear. Yeah, probably like, what? what is this thing? And uh, finally she makes her way up to Nancy's room, which I kind of felt like this is maybe when she walked in there, she's like, oh, well, this is what a normal girl is supposed to be like. You know, you've got your Tom Cruise poster on the wall. you got pictures all over, um, which did you uh, – so – this is where we're going to get a little personal. Did you ever have a Tom Cruise poster on your wall? No. No? I did not. <laughs> I liked Tom Cruise, but not in the heartthrob way where you hang the poster on the wall, heart, you know, kind of way. Uh-huh. I always did like him in the movies. I still enjoy whatever crazy batshit stuff that he does in his personal life. I don't care. The guy can put out some damn fine action movies and I love action movies. So I'm still to this day, a huge Tom Cruise fan. And that poster I believe was from risky business. Uh, yeah, that probably would make sense. Yeah. That movie came out in 1983 and, um, yeah. It's just amazing that like, it's, that's what 20. Oh no, it's like 34 years ago now. (laughs) Like maybe I'm not doing any math here, <laughs> but that the fact that like he's still a big deal 34 years later is yeah. pretty crazy. It's 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 I mean say what you want about the man and I'm not gonna go off on some Tom Cruise in it, but hey you know it speaks for itself. But yeah I I didn't. It's hilarious that you brought that up. I saw the same thing. I did not have a Tom Cruise poster. I had um oh gosh I am I don't remember exactly who it was. All I remember most um because I kind of started out early. It wasn't so much like actors and such. I was more into music, so I had um, all the rock stars on my walls. I didn't have as many like actors um, and such because I had more of the uh, musicians. I was did you have like Axl Rose and Slash and all those guys, or what, what? What bands did you have on your wall? Well, the <laughs> so <laughs> so before Guns N' Roses debuted, they weren't on the scene yet. They existed, of course, but they hadn't come out on MTV yet. So I had my four walls and ceiling were covered in Bon Jovi. Don't judge me. Oh, don't okay. for anyone, not you, Sean, but anyone out there, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> was John Bon Jovi. And when he got married to his wife, they all got torn down that day. <laughs> and like a few days, like sometime after that, it was like, I was so upset. And then, um, uh, yeah, one of the, the Sweet Child of Mine premiered on MTV and it absolutely changed my life forever. And nice. every Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose poster that you can imagine covered those four walls and ceiling as well. And I never looked back. See, Still I can't my get, favorite band of this day. <laughs> I can't get behind Bon Jovi, but I can get behind Guns N' Roses. I was yeah. that high school kid blaring all the gun, the GNR stuff when I was a kid. So, oh, Sean, we have got to listen to some music together. Yep. First, Corey Taylor, now Guns N' Roses. That's right. I I just learned, and this is this is definitely a side tangent. There's a band out of Scotland called Biffy Clyro. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, actually, okay. So, music tangent. Sorry, everybody. But um. So, uh, in St. Louis, Biffy Clyro was supposed to play their big festival there. And they're from Scotland, so they only come over here every now and then. Um, so we had pit tickets. It was Biffy Carl was like the third band. That's who we really want to see. I'm a huge Corey Taylor fan, so Stone Sour is going to be like the oh second band. God. So I was like, oh, it would be freaking awesome to see them too. And the third band was going to be Soundgarden. 
And that show was supposed to happen uh, like three days after Chris Cornell committed suicide. Oh, no. So, you know, I wake up like two days before we're supposed to head to the show. And it's like Chris Cornell, like all the news all over. And mm-hmm. they end up canceling that show. So we didn't we didn't end up getting to go. Um, but I guess that was kind of a long rant to say that Biff and Carl is coming back to St. Louis. So we're actually going to get to see them um, around Christmas time. So it'll be holly jolly for us there, I guess. But hey, um, that's my kind of Christmas. Nothing more than I like being at a concert. That's for <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Good story. That was kind of a long tangent, but uh, well, we're allowed. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you get to talk about the concert stuff. I can blabber about who I had hanging on my <laughs> walls. <laughs> uh, so that was your number two. Yeah, so my number two was, yeah, just Elle walking around. Um, so as she's investigating uh, Nancy's room, you see, like, she sees the poster of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we go on that tangent, because he's been around for 34 years. Yeah, um, amazing. And the other thing you see is she's looking at the pictures on the wall, and you notice you notice her noticing Barb. Mm-hmm. And she's never seen Barb up to this point, but somehow she knows, at least it looks like she knows that Barb is in is somewhere she's not supposed to be similar mm-hmm. to Will. So I thought that was kind of cool to show, like, this is something that happened after she's even been out of the 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 um, uh, place she was. You know, she's out, she's been out for a little while, but, and then Barb was kidnapped after that fact, but she still has some kind of, you know, connection to know that this happened. That Yeah, I think there's so much that you can kind of take from that, too, and just that look on her face when she opened up the bedroom to Nan- to Nancy's room and you can just we've only seen her at the facility what, when she's like being forced to do these experiments whatever those mean to, to, to the people who are making her do them and she's in this hospital gown and the only time you see her outside of that is when she's forced in this cell like room where there's it's just concrete walls it's not even like any kind of there's no kind of like little bed or chair or anything for her. It's just like this cold concrete floor. And she's in this hospital gown and she walks into this, into Nancy's room. And it was like, wow, what is this? Is this how people live? Like this, this is what a girl's room is supposed to be like. And I'm pretty sure, even though we haven't seen it, I'm pretty sure that's not the kind of room she has wherever she's at the facility because I'm, I'm thinking it's probably very cold and clinical. She probably does not have a Tom Cruise poster hanging on her wall. She probably does not. <laughs> she probably does not have these cool, carefree pictures taken with her best friend, like Nancy had with her and Barb, or with other friends or baby pictures. Even she's looking at some of her pictures. It looks like I'm guessing anyway. It's Nancy as it when she was a little girl, um, you know, along with the pictures of her and Barb together. And she was kind of looking. I'm like really studying them. Like she didn't know what they are. Like does she? You know, how much exposure does she have? Are there other children at this facility? Does she socialize with other children? Is she always kept to herself? Is she only interacting with these people who are telling her to do these experiments? And what is her life like? And and she gets to kind of see that a little bit, um, you know, in this house and be exposed to that. And it just, it's, it just, it's so sad to me. It was just really sad for her to see that. Cause like, I bet she does not have anything like that at all. But it's just cold. You know, I think of like some really cold clinical, like small hospital room is probably what she has. Um, So I I think that's really sad. I think that's a great observation. Like her room was probably, her room at at the the place is probably nothing more than a cot, maybe a toilet, you know, probably a a jail cell or something. Yeah, exactly. I was going to even say like maybe a step below a jail cell, jail cell. 
But yeah, so my number two is just kind of L kind of wandering and seeing kind of what the outside world has to offer. Yeah, kind of sad, probably a stark comparison to what she's used to. So very good number two. Okay, so my number one um, are scenes from the show in this episode that are reminiscent of scenes from 80s movies, which I just can't get enough of. I go back to this a lot, and I'm sure I will continue to do so because I'm absolutely fascinated uh, with the show and all the 80s references and my nostalgia for the era. So you mentioned earlier the flashbacks of Elle and those experiments and the things that they were making her do, which was very, to, to me anyway, very much like um, Firestarter. Have you seen Firestarter? I have not. I just recently heard about what's it, what it's about, but no, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I won't like spoil too much of anything in there, but it's just, hey, it's a Stephen King, so you need to check it out. I know that you love Stephen King, so <laughs> definitely go check it out. It's a really, um, I liked it anyway. It was a fun, you know, 80s movie. It probably wasn't the best movie in the world, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, so the experiments that they made Elle do was, to me, a lot like the tricks and things that they made Charlie do, the um little girl character in the movie. I won't go too much into that or give any of the story away, but um, you see those flashbacks and it was, it was very reminiscent of, cause Charlie didn't like doing them and you could tell that Elle didn't like doing them either. So I really liked, I, I don't know if that's what their inspiration was. I know that Stephen King was the Duffer brothers um, inspiration for this show. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of drew from that a little bit. Um, so I really liked that. That kind of, to me, reminded me of Firestarter. Also another movie that, there were some scenes that kind of took me back to, to watching these um, was Poltergeist. Have you seen Poltergeist? I have seen Poltergeist, yeah. Thank God, because <laughs> I'm going to say, come on, I'm going to make a list of movies, and that's your that's your uh, weekend homework, is to <laughs> watch these movies. Um, so Poltergeist, when that little girl, Holly, um, Mike's little sister, was standing in front of the wall. Oh, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, it's showing her from behind. So the camera is behind her, which reminded me very much of the scene in Poltergeist when Carol Ann in the beginning is sitting in front of the TV and it's real snowy background. And, you know, I'm sorry for everyone who has no idea what a snowy background on a TV looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have that anymore. But for those of us that remember, um, you know, Carol Ann is sitting in front of this TV. It's a snowy background. She's just staring and you just kind of see the back of her and, there's uh, that hand that kind of comes out from the screen and just kind of touches her. And that reminded me of that little girl standing in front of that wall. She's just kind of staring there. And it's like she, it's almost like she can sense. She doesn't quite hear anything yet. You can't hear anything. You don't see anything yet, but it's like she knows something's there. Cause I think children are pretty perceptive. Children, I think animals are perceptive to things that maybe adults aren't so much because we're closed off to that. But I think children being innocent are more open to those kinds of things. And I think she, kind of sensed that something was there I think she kind of knew it probably wasn't very good by the look she kind of looked scared and then all of a sudden you see it come out like it did with Joyce it kind of came out from the wall a little bit poor kid and then that's when you know Joyce scoops her up but that scene reminded me very much of the scene in Poltergeist with Carol Ann yeah, I know then, exactly what you're talking about like so I was waiting for her to turn around and be like they're here yeah they're here I know that <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then also from Poltergeist um, that reminded me of 
in the movie when Diane, Carol Ann's mother, after, um, and I'm sorry, people, if you haven't seen Poltergeist, like I said, there is a limit on spoilers. <laughs> this is a movie from the early 80s. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling anything, but go watch it. Um, I think once two decades have passed, then like, yeah, you're you're open for spoilers. <laughs> yeah. There's no warnings at that point. <laughs> Say, I hate spoilers, and I don't like spoiling anything, but I got to talk about this, and, and like I said, there's got to be a time limit. So, uh Diane, throughout the movie, after Carol Ann has disappeared, she's ta- she still can communicate with Carol Ann. You know, you can hear her calling out to her throughout the house. You can hear Carol Ann responding to her. It's like she's there but not there. And I think that is a lot like what we see in Stranger Things with um, Joyce, who's communicating with Will, who's there, but he's not there. It's like he's still existing somewhere, but he can't. she can't get to him, he can't get to her, and they're trying to communicate. Now, they didn't do anything with lights because they were actually able to hear Carol Ann speak. Um, and she can't hear Will speak, but through the lights she's communicating. So that was to me a good throwback to how it was in, in Poltergeist. And I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that movie was an inspiration for for a lot of the things. So I, I just really love that. So there might have been other things if if I've left anything out. If anyone else has picked up anything interesting, I'd love to hear about it because I, I dig it. So that's yeah, my love, number one. I love the throwback. I didn't catch. I mean, once you. Uh, readdress it. I kind of remember it again, but in the moment I, I saw that, I don't think I wrote it down, but yeah, like I said, I was waiting for her to flip around and say, we're here. Um, <laughs> it's Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool that they can make those callbacks. Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> What's your number one? All right, so my number one, um, there are very few shows, I would say, that after the episode ends, um, I either, you know, turn off the TV or, or do something else and it just sticks with me. And uh, I think the the shows I can think of, um, you know, Dexter definitely mm-hmm. did that to me um, in one episode. Um, and there's been a couple other ones, but this episode definitely did that to me. And I'm going to go with the very ending of the episode. So, yeah. um, you know, we see Hopper and them are in the library and they get a phone call and they say, we need you to get down here quick. And, you know, they rush down to the the reservoir, the, the lake, uh, and... You know, to me, I'm thinking like, okay, like I think Will is this main character. So at that moment when they get there, Will is the very last thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And as they're going through it, you know, he runs down there and, you know, I'm thinking it's Barb. Like I'm like, okay, they found Barb because we know she got attacked. But as he gets down there, you know, he did, again, we've talked a lot about how Hopper is a great character in this and you see the agony on his face and he just says, you know, it's like, please tell me it's not the kid. And, you know, like in that moment, you're like, oh, it's is it will you know and the the gang of his friends are down there too and they're like oh, oh god is that will like it can't be will and then they cut into the song in the background which is uh we looked it up earlier it's we can be here it's heroes um and it's sung by peter gabriel right and in that moment like you you're like oh it, it you know he says like don't tell me it's not the, or you know tell me it's please tell me it's not the kid and Right when they they cut back to the guys in the water and they flip it over, like you see the red jacket that Will was wearing, and you see him lift this little kid up onto the thing. And oh, I know, like very, like I, I think I'm pretty good at keeping like shows and stuff like the reality. Like I'm watching something, so I don't I don't get chilled or choked up very often. Mm-hmm. But this scene, like every time I've watched it like three times, I think just to like you know to make sure it wasn't just that mo- like that one time watching it. But every time mm-hmm. once that song starts kicking in. The, the hair on the back of my neck sticks up, I get chills, and I get choked up a little bit because it's 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 really, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, like, this is a scary show, so I'm not expecting, like, this strong emotional thing to, like, just 
hit you right in the gut. Like, you know, I'm expecting things to jump out and scare you. And this is a very like emotional moment that, you know, if they can pull that off in a scary, like this is essentially like a scary TV show, like a horror TV show. And, you know, usually in these type of things, like, you know, when somebody dies or gets killed, like there's not really much motion tied to it. Like you just like, okay, well, that person's gone. And this character will like we've seen him on screen for what, 10 minutes, 15 at the most. If that, yeah. And here he is showing up three episodes later and you see that, you know, he's he's dead and they, they play that song again. It's just like it's, you know, and they haven't even you know, we haven't even got the interaction with his mom yet. Like that, you know, that's something we have to be prepped for because like they're going to inform her. It's like, no, Will's Will's gone. Will died. Uh huh. And uh, I think, again, just the, the perfect song for that is the the heroes with Peter Gabriel singing. And uh, I was trying to figure out what else I heard this on. Because it, 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 I'm like, okay, I've heard this before, and I've had this exact same kind of emotional reaction. And it was the the movie Lone Survivor. They'd kind of play that at the end when they're showing the the soldiers that were involved in that um, situation. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, very emotional. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. And I and I was trying to think like, okay, well, why did this why did this hit so hard? Um, and you know, I I don't want to sound like Brian from Family Guy when he had a son. Um, cause I don't know if you remember that episode. It's like, he, he ends up thinking he has a son. And so everything's like a big deal. Yeah. Like Peter's like, yeah, watch this. And he says something about the TV and Brian's like, oh my God, don't talk about that. Like now that I, ha- you don't understand until you have a kid, <laughs> you just don't understand until you have a kid. But I mean, in that moment it's, it's, you know, but it's I, true. Yeah. I mean, my son's going to be two and you know, a little bit and Aww. you know, like in that moment, like, oh my God, like that's, that's just a kid. Like how, like devastating would it be to be in that situation and maybe that's why it hit home a little harder or again maybe it's just you know the great acting of hoop hopper and all the other things but um not to not to bring our top five down but um my number one would be that whole situation with hopper and how that played out yeah that's you make some really good points it's a really good number one and you know i think I think just in that situation and you know unfortunately anytime you're dealing with you know children and death it's it's sad I think for anyone but you know if you're a parent I think it really hits you you know I I think anyone can be sad by that and you don't have to have children to be sad by that but I think if you are a parent it does hit you because it is every parent's worst nightmare you know for their child to go missing and you know you're hoping that they're just missing and that they're going to be found and for this to be, you know, what we see as an outcome of, of what's happened. Of course, we don't know exactly what has happened or, or how he's ended up there. Um, but, you know, I think it, it was really sad. And it's probably a combination of everything because you're, you're everybody's out looking for him. Everybody's working so hard to look for him. And then this happens. It's a combination of the good acting from everyone and the, the kids. You really believe those yeah. kids, you know, and the reaction that they, they're witnessing their best friend being pulled from the water. And, you know, that that was sad to see their reaction because you can relate to that too. What if, you know, as, you know, as when you're a child and you have your childhood best friends, so you're seeing it at that level. You're seeing it from, uh, you know, as a parent, if that were your child and you, you being in that situation. Um, and how much, and then Hopper, from his perspective, how much he's invested. It's not his child, but he feels, I, I think in a way he feels maybe not responsible, but he was working so hard to get to a good resolution and to find Will, and for this to be the outcome is definitely not what he, his goal was and not what he wanted, and, you know, he has to deal with that, I think, internally. Um, and, and I think he, whatever, whatever's happened to his daughter, 
um, you know, he's a parent as well, and he's seeing that. I think that it's, I think a whole combination, the music. I think music can really bring out emotion and, and amplify the situation. Because I've, I've, I've seen scenes where, you know, without, like, the, like either turned down really low or with the sound off. And they're not nearly as emotional a lot of times until you turn the music on. Because yeah. for, me, for me, anyway, music is a big trigger. And so anytime a, a song like that that's very emotional, I think, really triggers that situation and amplifies it. So I think you're right that there's probably a lot of factors that probably made it really emotional for you. But, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, I think like like you said, the kids played a great part in that. I didn't even mention that, but like Mike, like he goes from, you know, all the stages of grief, like he, you know, is, you know, denial and then anger and finally he just leaves. And it's kind of that thing, like, you know, as a, as a young boy, you're not supposed to cry. Like you're not supposed to show emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but you know, there's been times when I was younger where things would happen and, you know, you just, you, you try to stay strong and you end up just you know, either it's your mom or your dad and you just grab a hold of them, you just burst into tears because somebody you love passed away or, you know, you know, there's been moments where I've been around that kind of situation. Like, and when he gets home and his mom is like, again, like Ted doesn't jump up. Like uh, Ted really makes me mad now that I think about that part of it. <laughs> but like he comes in and his mom, like first one to the door with him was like, Hey, what's, you know, what's wrong? And he just bursts into tears on his mom. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if she probably knows or knows something's wrong, but it's just like that. You know, you, you try to stay strong, but there's these moments you just got to kind of, you know, just let those emotions out because, I mean, what else can you do? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, yeah, she she was definitely there to kind of take that even. And, and I don't know that they would have known yet exactly what had happened, but it looked like, and I, I feel like I just got a flash um, because I think I was paying more attention to Karen, um, Mike's mom, more than I was the other, look like other set of parents was that, um, Barb's parents. I th- they were talking in there because, you know, Nancy had come so, in yeah. and she's crying after school and, you know, her mom's like, well, hey, you're home early and she's crying. She's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? And she's, that's when she finally tells someone, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Barb. I think Barb's missing. And so I'm, you know, we're, is that what was happening in the living room? Were they talking to Barb's parents and trying to figure out what's happening there? Um, and now this whole situation with Will sad yep so yeah it's my number one is uh just kind of the whole finding will kind of scenario or finding will scenes Mm -hmm. but so did you have any extra notes i had a couple notes we'll see um since since you brought us down let's see if we can get it back up i've got some good ones (laughs) i think to get us back up so yeah why don't you start with some notes what have you got okay um well the first one uh so we find out that Jonathan or Jonathan gets found out with his, uh, you know, stalkery oh, pictures. Did he ever? And so they're by his car and, you know, he comes out and, you know, did he deserve his camera to get broken? Maybe not, but he kind of didn't not deserve it either. Um, you know, he did take creepy stalker pictures. He did get a maid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one that was kind of like, uh, it's kind of 50 50 if you deserve that or not. Uh, at least they didn't beat the crap out of him. Yeah, I don't know that he he deserved to have his camera. Those cameras, those really nice ones, are very expensive. That's true. I, I know that, but I, I I thought that was kind of an asshole move on Steve D to use your term um, <laughs> to do that. But I think that you know being confrontational as far as like, dude, that's creepy. Yeah, because you know, it, it was creepy. Not only was he there and taking the pictures and kept, and he wasn't just you know. Yeah, he was out looking for his brother. It started out innocent enough, but he carried it into a little bit of a different place. Um, 
and then he also the, then goes and gets them developed. There was nothing in those pictures of where yeah. he was taking pictures of Nancy from, you know, when she was up in the bedroom and removing her shirt. That was not going to help him find his little brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and that? getting them developed in a public, like, use room, too, is kind of like, you know, lock the door or, you know, you got to do something. Yeah, you need to be a little bit more cautionary, cautionary when you're printing out stalker pictures. Of course, we we have the convenience that you're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. You can do that from home now. You don't have to, <laughs> you know. And looking at my collection of stalker pictures right now, um, <laughs> but you, you can, you're able to do that in the privacy of your own home. But yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's probably not the best idea. I don't know that he really deserved that, but um, definitely he deserved to at least be called out. Yeah, for sure, for called it. out yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, Quick thing I thought was interesting that the bullies helped them find the the monster killing rock. Yeah. So it's kind of like these boys are their monster to an extent. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and the other thing which I thought was funny, it's kind of to go back on uh, with Steve the D and Nancy, you know, when they're at the lunch table, lunch table and the other couple are making jokes about their sexual interaction the night before. Ugh. Um, yeah. And I kind of figures like, well, it probably lasted about as long as they were making the joke. So pretty much, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's pretty much all I had for notes. Oh, actually one more thing. Um, we also learned that the pool is heated because the, the one girl's getting some weird growth on her ankle. Yeah, that was gross. I got a, yeah, like Steve, he was like, I don't know what the hell that is, but get it off the table. It's gross. <laughs> you know, they're trying to lunch. I would be too. It's like gross. Yeah. Even if she doesn't have some weird looking thing on her ankle, get your damn foot off the lunch table. I'm trying to eat here. <laughs> you know, that's, that's gross. Yeah. That I just, I really disliked, like, I know we talked a little bit before about our schools and cliques and, and I ended up moving in junior high to a little bit. It still was a very small school in comparison to many, many other people's schools that I'm sure, um, could relate to. Um, but it was still kind of small, but it did get a little bit clicky in middle and high school. And I really, really disliked that type of crowd. Like, you know, I, just keep my business to myself. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I would not appreciate having someone, you know, blaring out to the whole lunchroom about, you know, what was going on. I, that would really, I would have probably punched that girl in the face. <laughs> um, just <laughs> And Steve's, and Steve just like, you know, he wasn't even like, oh, cool it guys. He just was just kind of like shrugging his shoulder, shaking his head like you yeah. guys are, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you're a tool, you know, you need to, I don't know. To me, a guy should be like, be honorable with with the girl that he's with maybe they're not technically dating or technically girlfriend boyfriend or whatever but you're sleeping with her at this moment stand up for her and have a little bit of honor and tell him to shut the hell up yeah i completely agree my thing but that just shows his character like you said steve d Um, he has that name for a reason (laughs) yeah i'm still kind of wondering i don't know if he if he keeps the girls around for a little bit until they get tired of him or what but i mean I, i was expecting him to you know the next day at school be like oh wait you're nancy who Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen that yet. Not yet. I don't, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But good notes. I have a couple. They're not um, too in-depth. Just a couple things that I pointed out that were kind of cool. Um, you, you mentioned earlier the Tom Cruise uh, poster. That was definitely in my notes. Um, another poster that I noticed, and maybe it, it was seen previously and I just kind of missed it because there were other things happening that were, you know, more interesting in the scenes. But I noticed this time around anyway in Mike's basement as they were all down there talking, I noticed um, a poster of The Thing, John Carpenter's oh, yeah. Thing. That, I thought that was super cool because I really, really loved that movie. Um, so I saw that and thought that was really cool. And I was like, yes, The Thing. Um, 
So that was nice. Um, I also, whenever Nancy was at her locker and Steve had come up to show her and her locker was open, she had a trapper keeper. I saw that too. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, where did they dig this up? Like, is there a warehouse of like this stuff from different eras, like the 60s and 70s and 80s when they're making these movies and TV shows that they're like, oh yeah, we got that in stock. You know, we'll we'll put that in as a prop, you know? I'm like, where did they dig up this trapper keeper? Because... Yes, I had one, and I thought I was the coolest kid on the block, even though everyone else had one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone had Trapper Keepers, but whenever you got your Trapper Keeper, like when you went shopping for your school supplies and got your papers and your pencils and everything, and you got that Trapper Keeper, I carried that thing throughout the whole store. So excited, and it had a unicorn on it, people. (laughs) Nice. It had it. Yes, I've loved fantasy and unicorns and dragons and everything since, as far as I can remember. So yes, mine had a unicorn on it. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. So, see that trapper keeper in her locker was definitely a, a nostalgic moment for me. Um, another thing that I noted, because uh, you mentioned some other things already that I won't repeat that were in my notes that I thought was really good. But one really cool thing, you know, we saw Dustin was like trying to, he's like talking about how Eleven's got these really cool powers and he pops out this Millennium Falcon and he's like, make it fly, concentrate, make it <laughs> I fly. And she's just like looking at him like, are you an idiot? And he lets it go and it drops on the floor. <laughs> and then you see later as she's, you know, getting ready to kind of go and explore, she's sitting on the floor. I think she's either sitting on the floor or on the couch and you see that Millennium Falcon flying or just like floating in the air and I thought when she oh, looks almost God. bored by it too like she's not like super focused just like yeah okay I'm making it float yeah because she was just like I think she even kind of looked away from it like it was still floating and she kind of got distracted from something and it was still floating and then when she was done with it it kind of went crashing to the floor and I thought oh my god who as a kid who had the Millennium Falcon or any toy like that didn't want to have that ability to oh yeah you know, make those things fly because how much cooler would that be than actually holding it and making it, you know, zoom, zoom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> fly around the room. So I thought that was super cool. Um, you know, all of us kids who had those types of toys, especially Millennium Falcon, how cool is that? Um, and making it fly. So just some cool little things that I thought were kind of 80s nostalgia and just kind of cool moments. Um, and that those are my notes. Cool. Good notes. Yeah. Fun. So now for some news for Stranger Things, and I'll start off. Um, The first article that we have is from Variety, and the title of the article is Netflix Issues Cease and Desist Order on Unauthorized Stranger Things Themed Bar. So the world is turning upside down for a Stranger Things themed bar in Chicago that has been ordered by Netflix to close its doors. The upside-down pop-up in Chicago, named after the dark parallel universe from the Netflix show, launched in August and became a hit. The bar serves drinks, including a syrup-flavored cocktail called Eleven's Egos, and features decor that matches the show, like the Christmas light alphabet wall. Due to the bar's success, the owners had planned to extend their six-week run to coincide with the premiere of Stranger Things Season 2. However, Netflix issued an albi-cheeky cease and desist letter. And just a little part of the letter, if everyone wants to read it, I'll um, post the full full article that you can read uh, the letter if you want. But part of the letter that they have in the article says... Unless I'm living in the upside down, I don't think we did a deal with you for this pop-up, the letter reads. 
You're obviously creative types, so I'm sure you can appreciate that it's important to us to have a say in how our fans encounter the worlds we build. So the bar's owners and manager insist there are no hard feelings and plan to end the pop-up on October 1 as originally planned. Hmm, that seems kind of, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know either, because I see lots of um, Game of Thrones pop-up bars, you know, kind of up everywhere. So, And I don't see, you know, uh, the Double Ds chasing them down or HBO demanding that they shut them down. So I wasn't sure what to do about this either. I thought I could kind of see their point, but another way, it's, you know, what's the harm? Yeah, well, I know that, like, I mean, you think about, like, sports bars, they're they're basically themes sp- after sports teams. Mm-hmm. And I know there in L.A. there is a uh, a Star Wars theme bar, which is basically looks almost exactly like the cantina. And I haven't heard what? anybody have any issues with that. Yeah. George Lucas hasn't come banging on their door yet, demanding some royalties or something. <laughs> well, it's Disney now. Yeah. Disney, Disney now, yeah. yes. But, you know, still, George Disney. is a control freak. <laughs> Disney sends that mouse with that, that uh, ball bat, and you got to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you've been ripping us off, huh? <laughs> All right. Yeah, the, I don't know. the second story we have is from The Hollywood Reporter, and a source with knowledge of the Stranger Things world says Netflix had hoped to shoot seasons three and four back to back to get ahead of any potential awkward adolescent transitions for its young actors. Every time you have a show that relies so heavily on the charm of kids, you want to capture that, says this person. But the powers involved, including, of course, show creators Matt and Ross Duffer and executive producer Sean Levy and Dan Cohen, are said to have vetoed the idea. The writer's room is small, as is the roster of producers, and a source says they did not deem it possible to turn out episodes that quickly. All declined to comment. Instead, says the source, the plan is to create stories that feel true to where the actors are in terms of age at the time the episodes are shot. Yeah. That's hard to do a show with kids. They, I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen that like with like with The Walking Dead, at least with Carl. There's not too many children, um, you know, besides Judith, but they can just keep replacing babies. <laughs> yeah, you they know, got like they got like six babies on routine. Yeah, so there's, there's they can just keep rotating babies. But like with Carl, you can't rotate Carl's, you know. And you've seen how he's aged so quickly. So it's it's difficult to kind of do a show um, with with kids. So I kind of see see where they're kind of coming from. But I guess. Yeah. They're going to figure it out. Yeah, I heard a story about with it, they cut some scenes because of the fact that with kids, you only have so many hours you can shoot with them. Mm-hmm. And that was going to put them over budget because, you know, if you can, only, I don't know what the hours is, but I think it's less than eight a day. So, I mean, you know, you have to think that's, you know, you have to have crafts and services for more day. Like the shooting for with kids is going to take, you know, probably I don't know, double the time. Yeah, definitely. So a, lot, a lot of that stuff gets cut. Yeah, they do. They have to get really creative and they really have to utilize the time that they have those kids on set because of those uh, child labor laws. That's for sure. Yep. And that's why they love having twins because, you know, you swap get them out. double the time. <laughs> <laughs> swap them out. Oh, your eight hours is up. All right. Bring in the next <laughs> one. <laughs> Just keep them going. <laughs> um, okay. So the next article is from Variety. Um, So after five wins at the Creative Arts Ceremony earlier this month, Stranger Things was shut out of the acting categories, and they lost directing to Reed Murano. So Millie Bobby Brown, an an expert's pick to win, lost supporting dramatic actress to The Handmaid's Tale and Dowd, for example, while David Harbour, who plays Hopper, for anyone that doesn't know, lost supporting actor to The Crown's John Lithgow. So, in fact, Netflix overall fits into this category as after 91 nominations, the second most overall, the streamer only brought home 20 awards. 
So bummer that the Emmys, they happened as we're recording this on Tuesday, just happened this Sunday, this past Sunday that just passed anyway. And so bummer Stranger Things did not get anything from that one, but they did pretty well at the creative arts. Um, let's hope for a better year next year. So bummer. 20 awards is still good though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely good. They they really racked up some other, um, you know, like, like last year they did really good, like the SAG Awards and stuff. There's still lots of awards, you know, to kind of come around and plenty of love to show that show. All right, so another article from Variety. So the Warner Brothers classic film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory will get it the live in-concert treatment this November 3rd and 4th with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in concert at the Hollywood Bowl, a live-to-film celebration. Stranger Things and its star Finn Wolfhard will play Charlie Bucket with John Stamos singing Pure Imagination as Willy Wonka. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) And Weird Al Yankovic as the Oompa Loompas. Ellie King will take on the uh, odious Veronica Salt singing I Want It Now with Gina Nicarlo Esposito as the Candyman, Ingrid Michelson as Miss Bucket, and Richard King as Grandpa Joe. John yeah. Stamos as Willy Wonka. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that one. I don't. I don't know either. I just this was a last minute ad because it just came out um, this afternoon as I was putting all of this stuff together, and I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, Finn Wolfhard's definitely um, like a hot commodity right now. He's really great in Stranger Things, as at all, all the kids. Um, but he was in it, and he was so fantastic in that. I mean, as all again, as all the kids were in it. I feel. Um, but he's definitely a hot commodity, so this um, was kind of a last-minute ad I thought was kind of interesting. And I'm not sure how I feel about that either. It was, <laughs> and with Weird Al Yankovic and, you know, and Giancarlo Esposito, um, do you know who that is? Who is that? Um... He was in Breaking Bad. He was um, Gus Okay. in Breaking Bad. Have you seen Breaking Bad? I haven't. Sorry. Sean, you know, look... I'm sending I'm sending you a list after the, after we finish recording. <laughs> you have homework. No, it's okay. Um, but he was in Breaking Bad, Giancarlo Esposito. He played Gus Spring in that. And I won't say anything more um, because I feel there's still many people who haven't watched it as of you, of course, so I won't spoil anything. But uh, really great character from Breaking Bad. <clears throat> it was pretty cool, though, with Finn because, I mean, you look at the character he plays in It compared to what he plays in Stranger Things compared to Charlie. Those are all three very different characters. They are. So it'd be, I'd be interested in watching this. Yeah, I think at least to catch a snippet, I, I don't know that I care so much about other people, but if I can catch a clip of at least him um, in this role, I think that would be really fun. Cause yeah, it's very interesting. He's really, I, I don't know how old he is in real life. Um, I know like about the age he's playing on the show and what he played in it, but I don't know his, his true age. Um, but he's really like stretching himself for such a young actor. Um, it'll be interesting to see where, you know, as he continues, you know, and it's interesting that he's been able to do so much. I don't know the, the shooting schedule for Stranger Things. Uh, you know, they only had, uh, for season one, they had eight episodes. For season two, they had nine. So at least it's not something like Network where they're shooting 20-something shows or even something that is on HBO that's maybe 13 episodes and where they have longer shooting schedules. But it's nice that he's got some freedom, you know, to kind of stretch his acting yeah. um, wings, so to say. So. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we'll have to be watching out for that. Comes out in a couple weeks, I guess. Or not a couple weeks, sorry, it's in November. Stay tuned. <laughs> okay, so we've got a little bit of listener feedback. So letters from the upside down. And this is feedback. Um, this 
first one that I have is feedback specific from episode two that we had. Um, so this is from Doug Taylor. Regarding the episode title, I always thought it referred to the Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, in which the whole street loses power one night and they believe it to be the result of an alien invasion. As I recall, one house on the street suddenly regains power and its lights come on, so the neighbors believe the monster must be in there. So that was kind of referring to the weirdo on what was Maple that Street. Street. Maple Street. Yeah. So yeah. Thought that was interesting. Have you did you see that? Are you familiar much with Twilight Zone or have seen the episode? I've had my buddy tell me about that one. It's like, I think it's supposed to be like this alien uh, social experiment that goes on. So the aliens actually take away all the power and then they like slowly start giving other houses power. And so then like this, the society's like, oh, well, you know, this person must've been the one to take the power. And now they're working with this person and basically like chaos just breaks out and the aliens are like, oh man, these humans are just not worth dealing with and leave. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Aliens creep me out too. Thanks, Doug. So Steve Brown said, uh, loved it. I appreciate Winona Ryder's acting even more this time around. I'm watching episode four right now because I can't wait. Sorry. Well, Steve, <laughs> give us that information uh, for our next episode. We love the feedback. Love the feedback. So yeah, make sure you come right back and uh, let us know what you think about episode four because we'll definitely be doing that one next. Uh, Des Combs says... This was probably the most emotional episode of the series. When they find the body, the looks in the kids' faces are heart-wrenching. On the lighter side, I love the nostalgia as Eleven uh, ran through the channels, ending on Coke is It. I also really want to fill my house with Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Des. Thanks. Ashley Snow, love the episode. I was very angry with Papa for the horrible experiments on Eleven, especially the one with the cat but I like the way that they introduce the flashbacks. The use of the lights is impactful from Holly following the lights down the hall to Joyce's Xmas tree ABC light decoder run to the flashing patrol car lights. They really set a mood. Jonathan totally creeps me out. I agree with that. Um, I am sympathetic to his character, but the actor does such a great job making him an awkward, socially stunted teen. Yeah. Good point there, Ashley. I agree. Kristen Howell says such a solid episode. Watching Joyce design a way to communicate with Will was fantastic. Winona, Ryder's, Winona Ryder nails the desperation a mother would so clearly feel to find her child. Um, poor Barb. Moral of the story? Leave your friend if she ditches you for a dude. Go home and don't sit alone in the dark when a kid <laughs> is missing in your town. <laughs> well, like you said, this is the, the reverse of all horror movies. Like Barb was the good girl and mm -hmm. Nancy was being a little bit of a... She was being uh, a naughty girl. <laughs> naughty girls win. Yep. Woo -woo. <laughs> See, if Barb just tried to be a little bit more naughty, she might still be alive. Sorry, I love you, Barb, but... <laughs> What can I say? <laughs> uh, see, in our last one we got from Jillian Moreau. So watching Joyce do everything she could to communicate with Will was heartbreaking. Being a mom definitely made her portrayal more real for me. And poor Barb. See, Nancy, no good can come from getting with Steve D. I'm enjoying <laughs> the flashbacks for background story as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, everyone, for writing in and giving us your feedback. We absolutely love it. Please don't be shy and keep writing in. Um, you know, we love hearing what you guys think. Everyone brings such a, a, an interesting perspective um, that we really appreciate hearing. So thank you, everyone, that took the time to write in. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Okay. All right, so for next week's episode, so next week we will be covering the fourth episode from Season 1 titled Chapter 4, The Body. 
The description for the episode is refusing to believe Will is dead. Joyce tries to connect with her son. The boys give Eleven a makeover. Jonathan and Nancy form an unlikely alliance. Hmm. Give us just a little bit and nothing at all. Yep. (laughs) Vague as always. As always. Well, of course, wouldn't want to ruin it, right? (laughs) Well, we're really excited for you to travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange. T-Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Under the Comic Covers at Podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts and any of the other great Podcastica podcasts. Yeah. And make sure to check out Sean in his other podcast. <gasps> what? The, <laughs> the language of bromance that comes out every Sunday. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode three, chapter three, Holly Jolly. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Kristen Howe is strange indeed. Joyce. Just ring me up, Donald. <laughs>